Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. I heard a story this week about a young woman who is a part of Teach for America in Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Crystal Jones. And if you don't know much about Teach for America, here is their mission statement. They say, to fight against educational inequality and under-resourced schools by mobilizing teachers committed to going beyond traditional expectations to support the academic and personal growth of their students. It is a great organization. By the way, quick shout out to all of our Teach for America teachers and alumni here and and listening online. I'm aware of like five of y'all who are a part of the Restore family, so thank you for what you're doing. It is awesome. Just like each of you, Crystal Jones wanted to make a difference in this world, so she signed up for Teach for America, and she was assigned to an under-resourced elementary school in Atlanta, Georgia as a first grade teacher. This school system didn't have a kindergarten, so for her in her class, this was the first time most of her students had ever been in a classroom setting in their whole lives. At the beginning of the year with them, many of her students couldn't even identify letters and numbers. They didn't know what they were. Some of them couldn't even hold a pencil the right way or could hold a book right side up. After being with her new class for a few days, she surmised that none of them were at grade level for literally any subject. Most of them also had severe behavioral issues that kept them from participating in some of the academic study that was required of them. Now, Crystal knew, she knew that traditional methods of teaching wouldn't work for her classroom, so she decided to do something innovative, something different, something new. She decided that instead of calling the kids by their first names, she would call each of them Scholar and then their last name, right? So like Scholar Lambert, Scholar Jones, Scholar Ramos, every one of them, Scholar, their last name. And it wasn't just true for her to the kids. The kids had to call each other all those names. They had to call each other Scholar, and they had to call her Scholar Jones, And whenever anyone else came into her classroom, she wouldn't say, hey, these are all my students over there. There's Johnny and April and blah, blah, blah. She would say, these are my scholars. This is Scholar Lambert and Scholar Gonzalez. So glad that you're here to meet them. Every single morning, each of them would stand up together and they would begin every day, every class, by reciting the definition of a scholar. Here's what they would say. I am a scholar, and a scholar is someone who lives to learn and is really good at it. Every morning, they would stand up and in unison, I am a scholar. A scholar is someone who lives to learn and is really good at it. And it didn't take long for these kids to just completely buy into this. I mean, they worked diligently. They encouraged one another. They were upset when they had to miss school before they were ditching, but now they were like, oh, I have a dentist appointment. I have to be there. 
All my scholars, they're going to miss me, you know? It began to totally transform her classroom and every student inside of it. Six months after Crystal Jones began this experiment, right before spring break, she gave the students a reading comprehension exam. And guess what happened? Every single student in her classroom was reading at or above first grade reading level. Isn't that amazing? Six months before, little scholar Williams was learning what an ABC was. Little scholar Jackson was learning how to hold a pencil. And now they are both able to read a freaking book. Like, that's insane, right? They didn't know what a letter was before. Six months later, you call them a scholar, you get them to buy into it, and they're reading books. How did this happen? It happened because Crystal Jones did more than change how they said their names. She changed where they found their identity. She didn't just change how they said their names. She changed where they found their identity. Kids who had been told their entire lives that they are dumb and poor and useless are now being told that they live to learn and are really good at it. Kids that their whole lives had been called stupid and slow and inferior are now being called scholar. And it changed everything. Our identity, what we believe to be true about ourselves is so vitally important. Most of us have worn different identities like name tags throughout our lives, right? It starts at a, at a pretty young age. I remember growing up in school, we called each other things like nerd and jock and popular and unpopular and stoner and goth and tease and skater and poser and slacker. Somebody told me today, they called, I was before my time. We didn't call anybody slacker. But. And even though most of us, we, we still kind of carry some of those identity labels, right? Deep down, even if we've grown up, we've grown out of them, some of those things that were put on us at a young age, we still carry somewhere deep inside of us, but we've kind of replaced them on the outside with things like our, our vocation, right? what we do for a living, or our relationship status, or our school, where we attend, or maybe it's our, even our sexual orientation, or identity, or our race, or our ethnicity, or our gender, or our class, or our hobbies, And for the vast majority of us, the answer to this question of of who are you is answered by some combination of the things I just listed. And hear me when I say that there's nothing wrong with these things, right? Without question, they're a part of who we are. But also hear me when I say if you are a Christian, these things are no longer the primary answer to the question, who am I? They are no longer the most essential part of who you are. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he has given you a new identity. And this new identity changes everything, way more than our name tag, right? This, this new identity, it changes the way we treat other people. It changes the way we treat ourselves. It changes the way we see the world. We, we think about the things that matter most. It, it changes uh, and causes us to live generously, to love selflessly. It helps us to stay away from the things that hurt us and that hurt those around us. It prompts us to fight for the marginalized, to speak out on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. It increases our affection for Jesus and this beautiful world that he has created. This is our new identity. 
But if you're a Christian in this room who just heard all of that description, all the things that your new identity is supposed to change, my guess is you're thinking something like, why doesn't my life look like that most of the time, though? I mean, I know that it's true. I wish that it did. But, but day in, day out, it doesn't always really look like that. I believe it's because we have forgotten who we really are. We have forgotten our identity. This is true of us, and it's been true of Christians throughout history, all the way back to the first century when the church was just getting started. We need constant reminders of who we are in Christ, our new identity, and how it changes everything. So for the last few weeks, we've been in this study of the book of Ephesians. And if you've been here for the last uh, few weeks or at any part during this series, you've heard me say that Ephesians isn't really a book at all. It's a, it's a letter written by a pastor named Paul to a group of churches that he helped start in and around the city of Ephesus. Now, this morning, we're arriving at a turning point of sorts in this letter from Paul to the Ephesian church. Paul spent uh, most of the first half of this letter talking about the story of Jesus, talking about the the ramifications of the good news of the gospel for like the, the whole world, for, for the church as a whole, these big ideas, these big things, a lot, of, a lot of theological statements. That was the first whole half of this book, things like how God brought reconciliation to all people, things like how the church is supposed to be radically inclusive, unified around the essentials and diverse in everything else, things like what happens to you when you place your faith in him, big, beautiful truths about the story of Jesus and how it changes everything. Paul bundles all this together and he calls it the gospel, which literally just means the good news about Jesus. He says that no matter who we are or what we've done, we can be full participants and partakers in this good news through faith in Jesus. Paul even kind of makes this joke that if they let him in, they'll let anyone in to this family of God. And if you remember that before Paul became a Christian, he was actually persecuting and killing Christians. But as Paul arrives in chapter 4, verse 17, he shifts, right? He makes this, this change in his letter. He moves from talking about how Jesus changes the whole world, how he changes the whole church, to talking about how Jesus changes me, how he changes you, how he changes our everyday lives. So I want you to go ahead and turn a scroll there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. The verses will also be on the screen behind me. In many of your Bibles, there's a little subtitle above verse 17. It says something like instructions for Christian living or the Christian's walk or something like that. Now, this is the part in, in most of Paul's letters where we tend to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? We get excited usually to hear about how Jesus changes the whole world, about how he changes the whole church. We feel good about these big theological things and truth and hope and love and, and beauty. But it starts to feel like Paul's in our personal business a little too much in this next part of the letter. Because he starts talking about how Jesus changes not just the world, but he changes our everyday lives, our actions, our behaviors. But here's what you have to understand about Paul. Paul's a lot like Crystal Jones. Because Paul understands that our behavior won't change until we change what we believe about who we are. Paul knows that. Paul knows that action follows identity. You with me? Action follows identity. 
And because he knows this, Paul begins this new section with a reminder of our new identity in Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That, however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I want to point to something. This first sentence is kind of confusing if you have been with us for the last couple of weeks as we've moved through Ephesians. He says, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, if this is your very first experience with that word or with this passage, you would probably surmise that Gentile means something like ungodly. Or, or, or sinner or something like that, right? Because he says, live no longer as the Gentiles do. They do all of these bad things, but it doesn't. Gentile is actually an ethnic category that simply means non-Jewish. Now, this is really strange, like I said, if you've been with us this whole time, because we know that a large part of Paul's audience in this Ephesian letter is Gentiles, right? Chapter 2, verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles. Chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Not only is he writing to Gentiles, Paul spent most of the first half of his letter explaining in no uncertain terms that Gentiles are fully included in the family of God. And, And then he says, live no longer as the Gentiles do, right? That's kind of confusing. Nod your head if that's kind of confusing, okay? Why would he say that? This is Paul subtly but brilliantly changing where they find their identity. In response to this opening sentence, I can imagine a Gentile reader or or a Gentile hearer in the church in Ephesus who's listening to all of this saying something like, you mean we aren't Gentiles anymore? You just said, like, we're in. You just said we're fully included. You just said the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles has been broken down. Now you're saying we aren't Gentiles anymore, and Paul excitedly would respond, now you're getting it. You're getting it. Your identity is no longer primarily defined by your ethnic group. That is not the most important thing about who you are anymore. And then he goes on to describe some of the things that the Gentile culture generally found acceptable that these Gentiles no longer should find acceptable because they now have their identity in Christ, things like hardening their hearts to God, having no sense of shame, living for lustful pleasure. It's like if he was writing to us and he said, hey, live no longer as the Americans do. That's not primarily who you are anymore. You are no longer running the Western rat race. You don't have to be obsessed with money and power and sex like many Americans are. You are something new now. That's not who you are anymore. Our identity has changed. We are children of God now. Paul explores this even further as he continues in verse 20. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Listen, that's, it starts with understanding who you are. Not be made new in your actions, first and foremost, but be made new in your minds, in this understanding of your new identity. And then to put on the new self, 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is all identity language here. You following it? Put off your old self. Be made new in your mind. Put on your new self. The language Paul uses here is actually the same language used for disrobing at the end of a really long day. You get home. It's been a rough day. You've been at work. You're probably working outside. It's the first century, right? There's no AC, anything like that. You're dirty. All of that stuff. You get home and you take off your old, dirty, worn-out clothes. You shower off. You put on the brand new, comfortable, beautiful ones given to you by Jesus. Put off the old self, put on the new. And don't miss that last line because it's, it's so important. Paul says that this new self has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love how Tim Mackey explains this verse. He says, this new self is the version of you created to be to perfectly reflect the image of God. The new self is the version of you created to perfectly reflect the image of God, who you really are, our new selves, our new identity. We are righteous and we are holy and good because we are filled with the life and love of Jesus. We are reflections of who he is. We are children of God. That's what it means. Now that Paul has helped the people understand their new identity in Christ, he spends the rest of his letter fleshing out how this new identity should live and function in everyday life. Because y'all, listen, the gospel changes us. Not just up here and not just in broad sense, it changes our everyday lives. It changes how we interact with the world, how we interact with people. It's like Crystal Jones having all her little scholars stand up and recite who they are and what that means each and every morning. That's what these last three chapters of Ephesians are, who we are and what that means for our lives. Paul breaks them up into three parts. The first one is how our new self interacts with people in our community. The second one is how our new self interacts with people in our family. And then the third one is how our new self puts on the armor of God to stand against the attacks of the enemy. That's the, the kind of the final three parts. This morning we're going to look at the first one, how our new self interacts with people in our community. And then over the last two weeks of this series we'll look at the other two. So here is how Paul fleshes out how our new self, our new identity, changes the way we interact with people in our community. We're just going to start back in verse 24. We're just going to roll through the rest of this passage, okay? Because it's so practical, it's so good, it has so much to teach us about what this new identity, if we truly understand it and buy into it, will look like in our everyday lives, okay? Verse 24, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What does that look like? So stop telling lies. It's the first thing Paul says. Your new self doesn't tell lies. Your new identity doesn't tell lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And another thing, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for angry gives a foothold to the devil. He says don't don't give in to the anger that you feel. That's not what we do. That's not what the new identity is. We don't tell lies. We don't let our anger control us. Next, if you are a thief, quit stealing. I love that. Quit it. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. 
Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I want you to hear so much of this as we work through it is Paul saying this changes not just you. It changes the way you interact with people in the community. All of this stuff, stop telling lies, stop stealing, encourage people, be generous with people, don't be angry with people. This is partially about us, but it's also about we live in a new community. Jesus is saying, I've created a new family and your children in it. That means you're not just responsible for you. I think in the West, right, and kind of in our culture, we have this general understanding of like, our faith is ours, right? It's just about us. It's our, you know, it's our personal, our personal relationship with Christ, right? We pray the prayer, we walk the aisle, whatever that looked like for you in your context. And that part's important. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really make a whole bunch of difference if it just stays like this, right? It has to interact. It has to change the way you work and live in community with people. That's what Paul goes after here. How does your new identity change the way you interact with the community? Keep going. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. You are his kids now, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That that last part's important as far as the forgiveness thing goes, right? In our own strength and our own power, our forgiveness can only go so far. But if we understand our new identity and that we got our new identity, not by some achievement of our own, but by just the radical grace and forgiveness and love of Jesus, I'm telling you, that'll change you. That'll change, it'll mess with you. It'll change the way you interact with people, even people that have hurt you. And again, I'm not saying that people who hurt you don't suffer the consequences. I'm not saying that you don't keep yourself safe. Not saying that at all. But I'm saying that when you understand the radical ways that you've been forgiven by Jesus, you will be more free to radically forgive others. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you, Paul says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. There's that identity statement again. He's reminding him. He, he's gone like five or six verses, and he's like, I know you've already forgotten okay, who you really are. Remember, you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, those are not for you. I love that. That's like the just quit stealing part, right? Making fun of other people, coarse jokes, obscene stories, people being objectified. That's what we're talking about here. Inside of the sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, too, we're using people for our own selfish gain. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying, stop that. These things are not for you. You are new. You are children of God. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Paul says you can't worship both. You can't worship God and all the stuff of this world. You can't worship yourself and Jesus. you got to pick. And I'm telling you, if you've been made new, that's what you pick. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes you go back. But remember who you are. Remember whose you are. 
and find your worship in him. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. That's a great verse for us, right? When we accept who we are, when we live in that light, it produces things that are good and right and true. When we put on our old self and go back to that darkness, it produces the opposite of things. Keep going. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Take no part in them. But it's not just a passive thing. Don't just shun evil, but stand up against evil. Don't just not take part in it. Expose it. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. I'm here to tell you that some of you have been called to be shiners of light in dark places. When it says that they will be exposed, the evil intentions, the evil behind the people, the evil that they have given into that has overtaken them, it will be exposed when the light shines upon them. Some of you are called to be that. Like vocationally, you're called to be that. We're all called to do that in our circles and in our lives. But some of you are called to do that every single day in your jobs. It's a beautiful thing. Lean into that. You bring the light of Jesus Christ with you to some dark places. You shine it. Shine it in those places. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. This is how he finishes. Do not live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to everything, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That whole last passage, he's like, okay, this is who you are now. This is what you're supposed to be living like. And don't wait. Don't put it off to start living like that. Life is too short. The days are too evil. There's too much brokenness in our world for us to just sit on the sidelines and do nothing about it. That's what it means here. Don't live like fools. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be drunk with wine. Those are all in the same category of don't just sit back and let life happen to you. Be Jesus in your circle. Shine light in darkness. This is our call. This is who we are. We are scholars. We are set up to do this. This changes us. It messes with us. The gospel doesn't just leave you alone. It propels you into something bigger and better. Most of us can come around these things, right? They aren't super controversial things. We can pretty much all agree that we shouldn't be lying or stealing or hurting others with our selfishness. We, we can agree that we should be living lives filled with love and, and standing up against evil. But the question again comes back to how do we do this? Again, it starts with understanding our new identity, just like those first graders. It starts with standing up each and every morning to say, I am a scholar. And a scholar is someone who lives to learn and is really good at it. 
So that's what we're going to do here right now, this morning, to help us remember who we are and what that means. We are going to recite an identity statement together. Here's what it is. Put it on the screen for me. I am a child of God. A child of God is someone who lives to love and stands for justice. Are you ready? We're going to do it together. You're going to be bad the first time I make you do it again. That's just what's going to happen. Are you ready? One, two, three. I am a child of God. A child of God is someone who lives to love and stands for justice. That was pretty good, but you're still going to do it again. (laughs) One more time. I am a child of God. A child of God is someone who lives to love and stands for justice. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is who you are now. It's not just like, oh, I'm not really gifted that way. I'm not really equipped that way. I don't really have that kind of job. That's not how it works. This is your identity. This is who you are. You live to love and you stand for justice. When you are faced with a decision this week, when you are in an interaction this week, I want you to filter it through this new identity. Repeat this phrase. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. When you see someone struggling on a street corner this week, ask yourself, what would a child of God who lives to love do right now? I'm telling you, it'll change you. It'll mess with you. It'll mess with you. When you hear someone use the Bible to justify murdering Muslims, ask yourself, what would a child of God who stands for justice do right now? When you're with some friends at a bar and you know that one more drink is going to take you from enjoyment to impairment, ask yourself, what would a child of God who carries the holiness of Jesus inside of them do right now? I'm telling you, it'll mess with you. It'll change you. If you really let who you are in Christ now dictate the decisions that you make, the interactions that you have, it will change everything. You will be bringers of light into the darkness. You will live to love. You will stand for justice. Action follows identity. Action follows identity. Crystal Jones knows this. Paul knows this. And now you and I know this too. We are children of God. And a child of God is someone who lives to love and stands for justice. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that in the midst of struggles, God, both in our world and in this room, all the things we bring in, all the heavy weight that we carry, you still show up. You still are the God that comes to us and says, give it to me, I'll carry it. You still are the God that not just fills us with light, but shines light through us into dark places. You are the God that stands for justice. You are the God that empowers us to do so as well. You are the God that lives to love and empowers us to do so as well. You are the God that died for victims and perpetrators. You are the God that went into the temple and got so angry with those religious leaders who were corrupting the faith that you flipped over the tables and told them to get out of there. But you didn't just stop there, God. A few days later, you died for the people behind those tables. It boggles my mind, the depths of your love. Help us to never lose sight of it, God. 
Help us to put away the sword, to put away the hate, 